0: Today on the Path to Success podcast, I sit down with Josh Pitts, founder and CEO of National LED. Josh founded National LED over 12 years ago and grew it into one of the largest national distributors and installers of commercial and industrial LED systems. Josh is an avid angel investor and developer and investor in commercial real estate and residential real estate as well. Today, we talk about barreling through some of the pitfalls of early entrepreneurship and then maintaining fun and building a personal brand after you've achieved great success in business. Less than two years ago, Josh founded National EV, one of the fastest growing installers of electric vehicle charging stations all across the state of Texas. If you want to learn more about becoming a successful entrepreneur and still maintaining a fun social life, listen in. Josh Pitts has a ton of insight and experience here for you. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to the Path to Success podcast. Today on Episode 2, I've actually got a good friend of mine. His name is Josh Pitts. Josh is the founder and CEO of National LED here in Houston. And over the last year, man, it looks like you've been blowing up in non-LED. Founder and CEO of National EV as well. Josh, welcome to the podcast studio. Give us the little 30-second elevator pitch, man. What do you do? Who are you? Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. My name is Joshua Pitts, founder and CEO of National LED. I've had that company for 12 years. Within the last year, we've launched National EV, which has had exploding growth and success. And I am here to share my story on the Path to Success podcast. I have promised Jeremy this will be The top episode for the next 100 episodes. So here we we go. (laughs) The benchmark
0: is high. You better watch out. I might might have LeBron James on in episode 100. Oh. uh, Well, good. So first of all, what inspired you to become an entrepreneur, Josh?
1: Yeah, so this this is going to tie in a little bit with my story, but it's good because it, it brings me back to humble beginnings. So I was raised in Louisville, Kentucky. My story is so full circle, but it starts with me living in a house that was the size of, uh, you know, it was a two bedroom house, one bathroom, I and mean, if you were running, you could jump through the front door and out the back door. So I lived in a very small house. <clears throat> I remember it being winter. I remember there being snow on the ground. I had a, a, cla- a cracked window in my room, and I just remember it being cold. This is a true story. I'm 12 years old, the wind's blowing and I can feel it, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I'm ever gonna put myself in this circumstance when I can change it for my own or for my family. And so I didn't know that meant that I was going to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know what that was going to lead me to, but I knew I was never going to go back to those humble beginnings that I had. And so, you know, that was when I was 12, I'm 35 now. So it's been some time since, since that. And it's just all become really full circle for me.
0: Well, good. Well, very, very early on. So that was something that you realized at 12, what key factors or events happened (laughs) very, very early on in your entrepreneurial journey that uh, basically contributed to your early success
1: yeah so i was uh, 18 years old i was pretty lost in life i went to a really good private prep school and during graduation it was you know this guy's going to harvard and this guy's going to stanford and i really didn't know what i was going to do so i had uh, family i moved down to houston when i was 18 i ended up working i had a very entrepreneurial role i was really lucky had a uh, family that gave me a job that allowed me to Kind of set my schedule, uh, bid out jobs and whether I'd win them or lose them, and then complete them within my own timeline. And then I learned how to invoice and bill. And I, I, I went to the University of Houston and I got really lucky because my best friend, Jonathan Reed, was a really good light for me. He said, Oh, there's this program, it's the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship. He said, You got to apply, you got to get in. And so that became my motive. You know, from the time I was like 18 to 20, all I talked about was entrepreneurship because I looked up to this program so highly. So he applied, he got in, he graduated 2011. I applied, I got rejected. And rejection's not for me, Jeremy. I don't (laughs) deal with rejection well. So I go up to the office and I just kept showing up every day and I would see who was in there and I started to learn who these people were. And I saw a gentleman and he was an alumni and he he was in charge of something. I don't know what, but I told him, I said, man, I said, I did not get into the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship. I said, it is my dream. It is my drive. It's the only thing that I'm focused on. I said, I need you to help me. And sure enough, he ended up giving me another interview, and I was accepted into the program. There you go. The program goes into story two. Um, I'll hold that off for a minute. But story two from the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship on really makes a lot of sense because it, it really led me to my first Internship to my first mentor. My first mentor got me to my second, my second mm. got me to my third, and everything really came full circle for me. And I was really lucky because Houston provided me those roots.
0: That's excellent, man. Thank you for sharing. So, Jonathan Reed, is that JR? Is JR, that the guy who you do JR. real estate
1: investing with? Yeah.
0: Tell us about your real estate investing that you do.
1: Yeah. So, JR is uh, my best friend. I've known mm-hmm. him um, on and off since I was 14 years old. I actually met him when I was working down here in the summers as a kid. So JR owns a real estate firm. We were actually roommates. Uh, he's got a, an incredible success story. He was working at a software company, got laid off, tried his hand at a couple of things, went into real estate. And he came to me one day and he said, hey, I need $100,000. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no way. Yeah, you know, yeah. your friend, your best friend, your roommate asks you for some money. You better say no. Yeah, yeah. And so he said, no, no, no. He said, it's a really good deal. You know, give me 100 grand and I'll give you back the 100 plus some within you know, three to five days. Mm-hmm. I said, no. So he starts doing these deals and he starts, um, I think it's the, I'm not a flipper, I'm not in real estate on the end that he is, but it's the buy, hold, rehab, resell, rent out, whatever the strategy is. But he did a number of those deals and he came back to me on number 10. And so now he's got a seven figure line of credit with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, so I'm a hard money lender. So I take cash that I have that's just sitting idle in our business and it's, uh you know, short-term convertible notes with a high interest rate. Mm -hmm. And so I love, love, love hard money loans. It allows me to be a little entrepreneurial in a different field, allows me to grow some of my cash without putting a lot of risk Mm -hmm. on it. And I trust the person I'm doing business with. Did I on day one, let (laughs) me ask for that first $100,000? Absolutely not. But the number one thing, if you're gonna loan somebody money, don't loan it to friends, don't loan it to family. Those are two rules that I always would go by. And then third, lend it to somebody you trust. So to an oxymoron conflict of interest, but don't lend money to somebody you don't trust, even if there's a really, really high rate of return. You know, and I've been really successful. I've never had a defaulted loan. I've been doing it for probably three years now. And uh, you know, we've cycled through a lot of cash in that time.
0: Excellent, man. Well, it's been inspiring to see you grow your portfolio assets uh, and
1: see your cash grow inside of that vehicle as well. I, you know, and, yeah. and so, You probably about know my financials. I've seen (laughs) yours. I've seen yours when we did the last uh, business boot camp at my office. So tell me, uh, what do you do for you know cash that's sitting on the side?
0: Yeah. So I've got uh, a few million in T bills. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I think that the most honest uh, (laughs) uh, person to hold your debt would be the United States government. Uh, I'm not getting 12 to 15 percent on those like you are. You know, doing hard money. But uh, I've done a few. You know, short term. (laughs) Uh, uh, very, you know, very hard money, you know, loans, uh, but nothing in the seven figures, right? And you've also got yeah. a way
1: larger payroll than I do, so... Yeah, my payroll is about $100,000 a
0: week, right? Yeah. So, uh, but, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, our average fee is $54,000, right? I mean, you know, you strike a few of those in a row in any in a, in a given month, you know, that, that creates some very, very um, sizable net profit, right? But Yeah. Um, well, good. So, what resources... Do you, gen- or do you utilize in order to generate new business ideas of verticals that you're going to explore into?
1: Yeah, so new business ideas can be dangerous. <laughs> one, thing, one thing that I know is that you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. So if you want to make money, stay in the lane that you know. For me, you know, I think about my job, my business, you know my sales, 24/7, especially when I'm going to bed at night. Uh, One tip is to always keep a moleskin with you. I take my moleskin everywhere I go. Um, You should also have a moleskin right next to your bed because if you're like me or like 90% of the population, most of your thoughts will come to you late at night. You know, I don't really try and generate anything new because Mm -hmm. what I I do isn't, it's not groundbreaking. It's not patented. Uh, I have a sales organization. We're really good at, at what we do. We sell a really strong product. And that's just the business that that I'm in. So it's non-proprietary. Anybody could knock us off, but nobody has. We've put a lot of people out of business over the years because we've garnered so much of um, the Southern U.S.'s sales that, you know, there's not enough room for everybody. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, I'm not a person who tries to garner new business ideas as much as I really try and go with a laser-like focus to know, hey, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I need to do. And here's how I can accomplish those things better. Mm-hmm. So, give me some insight into the best piece of advice that someone had <laughs> given you, maybe anytime time in your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, you're going to make the most money in what you know the most about. Okay, and I think I think that's good because so many people lose money when they get it, and be, and it's because they try and dabble into other things. So, just to give a quick story, when I was uh, 20 years old, once I was into the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship, Houston Angel Network work was like my dream. Oh, you know, I want to go, I want to be an angel, I want to be a venture capitalist, I want to be in Shark Tank. You know, if you, if you read, those Shark Tank guys generally lose money on the deals they mm-hmm. do. They, they do the show for notoriety, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm 20 years old, I'm trying to get into the Houston Angel Network, and they're saying, hey, you know, students aren't allowed to come in. And I'm thinking, I want to come in to learn. Like, this could be something valuable mm-hmm. for me. Fast forward, I'm 20 something years old, my net worth, seven figures. And so I joined the Houston Angel Network. I mm-hmm. actually ended up doing a deal. I think the deal's gonna work out very uh favorably for me. But so many of those guys that are in there will tell you how much money they've lost. Mm-hmm. And it's because they're throwing money at things they hope something good happens to. So they want ten deals and they hope one strikes really mm-hmm. rich. But those nine deals they invested in, they have no idea what's going on with them. <laughs> they don't know anything about the business and they'll generally lose money. So you're going to always make the most money in what you know the most about. So try and stay laser-like focused on that path of what you're doing and try and make money doing that, not 10 other things. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. I've got
0: a quick story as well. So, uh, in the last probably two years, I've done three deals of angel investment. And it's funny because, uh, you know, I had a similar story whenever I was young watching Shark Tank saying, Hey, I want to be an angel investor as well. And when I started to make a little bit of money, you know, you put some into the stock market, you put some into real estate, obviously you reinvest a ton into your business. Um, but uh, but the the three businesses that I had done angel investment in all had one commonality. We were recruiting for the companies and we were sending in executives that were interviewing there. And every single one of those executives was coming out saying, holy shit, this is an amazing opportunity This company is going to completely disrupt and change the game. This is an amazing role. Please, please, Jeremy, please get it for me. Right. And so that gave me the level of confidence of saying, hey, these guys are experts in their industry. And then they're saying that these companies, right, are badass. Mm -hmm. And so it was a very easy conversation to go to the founder of the company in every single situation and say, hey, look, how would you like it if I gave you, boom, $100,000 in Angel and you just cut it right back to me in paying
1: my recruiting fees. Right. Yeah. And
0: so it was kind of a fair trade of service yeah. for equity.
1: Yeah. So, uh, and that's, that's the, you know, that's the creative entrepreneur and you, and that's what helps people to make money and to leverage up and to become somebody else is structuring deals efficiently. That's a very mm-hmm. efficient way to structure a deal and it's exciting and it's also creative, you know, mm-hmm. so I love Mr. Wonderful talking about Shark Tank. You know, he always comes in with a royalty deal. Yep. You know, it's not standard um, and they call it greedy, but it's creative. And so I love a creative deal. And so I'm always looking for creative deals in the work that we do. Excellent.
0: So you'd mentioned that over the years you put out of uh, a few competitors out of business. How do you generally approach the competition in your industry? Are these guys like 100% foes? Are they allies? Are they vendors? Are they clients? Talk,
1: talk me through it. <laughs> so... The LED market never had companies that did what I did when I started. So there was never an LED company that went into your business, assessed your needs, not only sold you the fixtures, but installed them and carried the warranty on the fixtures and the install. So that was our unique proposition. We were just different in the fact that we were 100% turnkey. Tesla goes direct to the consumer without sending you through the dealership. We were going direct to the consumer without sending you through the dealership. So when I started, nobody really wanted to sell to me. So I had to buy LEDs from somewhere. Luckily, I had a mentor, I had a partner, and he got me my start, but all these other guys who I could have been buying from, they didn't want me in their space. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting because over time, uh, they've now done what, I, what I'm doing or they've gone out of business. So they've either started to do a turnkey division or they've gotten really, really low in their sales or they've gone out of business completely. So it's been interesting to see that. And that's been, it's been a 12 year run for me. It didn't mm-hmm. happen overnight. You know, there's a lot of networking events. People didn't want me at, there was a lot of people who didn't like me because I was the, the call it the Elon Musk and that's putting a little the too disruptor. much on. I was the disruptor for yeah, the yeah. business. And so, you know, I'm happy where I'm at now. Those people who, are, who, who weren't happy back then, they're generally, they're friends with me or they're interviewing with mm-hmm. me. Yeah. There we go. Hopefully you close them. That's
0: how it uh, goes. So
1: let me ask you this. I know myself, whenever I come up with new,
0: new business ideas, uh, you know, invest in developing new verticals where I can still utilize the relationships that I have today, much like what you're doing right now, going from national LED to national EV, you know, in the beginning, it takes a little bit of uh, momentum to get the ball rolling, right? And you, you're encountering obstacles. So my question is, is how do you cultivate a positive mindset to overcome self-doubt whenever maybe things are starting a lot slower than you had anticipated.
1: And it's not even starting a lot slower, it's, um, it's that pit feeling in your stomach when you're going back to call on somebody and you're like, all right, I've met this guy, I've assessed his needs, I've given him a proposal, I've followed up, but damn, I gotta get that signature. You know, I gotta go back in mm-hmm. his office. So funny story, uh, Bill Offenberg, who owns Westside Chevrolet, one of my good friends, he has an energy contract and there's not a ton of money for us in the energy contracts but i like to do them i like to broker energy on the side just because it's fun so i'm back at his office one day and i've got the contract in my hand and i'm standing outside of his door and i can tell he's meeting with somebody but it's an internal guy so i know it's not a big deal if i walk in and that pit feeling in my stomach is like hey josh you know he's busy turn around go home and i had a coworker with me i was like ah we were in a rush and i'm so scared to go back in and this is kind of like a friend of mine so i'm like i don't want to bug him funny part was he has a security camera so he's watching me sit there <laughs> debate this outside of his door and he goes josh come on in and so i go in uh, we end up talking for a few minutes and he signs the deal and so i go back to the office and i'm thinking to myself you know this is this is a note to myself and a letter to my company if you ever have the doubt in your stomach if you're ever scared you're doing something right mm. if you're not scared And you're not somewhat intimidated or if you're not pushing your boundaries, you're not going to your full potential. And that's how most people live their whole life. You know, 99% of the people out there, they want to stay in their comfort zone. They don't want to get off their couch. They want to work from home. That's not me. That's not you. And so that's, that's just been something that I think about over and over and over again. If I don't have that pit feeling in my stomach... I'm not doing enough.
0: Man, that's such a great story and a great share. And and that's whenever true go- true growth is made is whenever you do have the confidence to step outside of that comfort zone. So thank you for sharing that, man. That's an awesome, awesome story. So how do you manage stress and maintain
1: work-life balance? Stress is a big one. Um, you know, luckily, luckily, I'm in a place that uh, we can do you know, I wouldn't say like a bad deal, but we can do a deal, not make money off of it. And it doesn't hurt us, <clears throat> excuse me, because we've been in business for so long, built up a, a cash equity that we're comfortable with. So, you know, I have a routine and I'm very, very, my, my routine doesn't change. So I wake up in the morning, I eat breakfast, I go to work, I get off of work, I go to the gym, I come home from the gym, I eat food, you know, and then, and then I get an hour or two of, of my alone time at the house or spending time with a friend or something. And then I go to bed. That's Monday through Thursday. Mm-hmm. I rarely delineate from that, uh, schedule on the weekends. I'm a little more open, but you know, my biggest thing to cope with stress is honestly just my schedule and, and lifting weights, you know, and that's, uh, Something obviously you've been somebody's been in the gym lately. So, you know, you obviously know something about that, but it's, to me, it's, you got to get those endorphins out. You got to get the sweat out and that's just the best way to cope with, with stress.
0: Yeah. So, uh, thank you for noticing. So Josh and I have been friends for about two years now. And during that two years, I've kind of hovered between 270 and 280, but over the last four months, uh, you know, it's, it's been a massive lifestyle change for myself uh, really just healthy eating habits and doing active things, right? So a lot of pickleball, volleyball, basketball. Um, and, you know, truth be told, I was dating a girl that fitness was like the center of her life. And she was a very positive influence on me. And I lost about 45, almost 50 pounds. And so uh, from running the streets to running the pickleball. Court. Absolutely. Absolutely. man. And so yesterday uh, I was out on the golf course with my VP of legal, Christy Lyles. And uh, I posted a picture with the with the golf club, and I said, "Hey, clubbing has a whole new meaning when you're with your <laughs> VP." But uh, so no, just you know, healthy habits, and you know, I'm working up the confidence to get in the gym. You know, I'm not putting up big weight like you yet, so I'm trying to overcome that mental hurdle of being next to a guy that's smaller than me that's lifting heavier than me.
1: All right, new goal. New goal is to send you uh, an invite every time I go to the gym. Where where do you work out? Uh, I've got a membership at Covenant. I've got a membership at O Athletic. Um, I like to swim, so I'll, I'll you know you might catch me hopping a fence to get in an apartment pool. There you go. And then uh, I think I'm <laughs> I think I'm going to join Foss at Seven. So I, you know, coping with stress, I do have multiple gym memberships, yeah. and it's because I like the camaraderie of mm-hmm. going to the gym. Yep. You know, it's something where you're you're in a totally di- different atmosphere. It's not the bar where you're going to socialize, mm-hmm. but you know, you go to the gym, cut it up with some friends. Lift some weights. I probably do more talking than working out most times. But hey, you know, go athletic, go go O Athletic.
0: There we go. No, and thank you for sharing that because my experience has always been everybody's got their head down and their focus and they don't want anyone to bother them. But it sounds like there are some communities where maybe camaraderie is a little bit welcome. So I need to check out O Athletic for sure. Uh so let's change the subject. Let's talk about the greatest challenge or
1: hurdle that you've ever had to overcome in your entrepreneurial journey. You know, there was, a, there was a time when I was thinking about quitting, and I say that, I, I need to say it lightly. So there's, um, there's rebate programs in Texas where you can get a rebate if you install LEDs somewhere. And this is big back when I first started, right? So the deal was I would go, I would sell car dealership LEDs. It would be half a million dollars. They would get a rebate from uh, an entity that would be for $250,000. So that would sell my deal for me. I'm basically going in and selling something and say, hey, I can get you a 50% discount on what you're buying. Yep. And the numbers started to back up over the years, 50%, 40%, 30%, and now it's about 20. <clears throat> so I go, I'm doing, a, I'm doing an audit, and the inspector comes. The inspector tells me, oh, this isn't right. I disagree with him. I say, hey, it is right. He says, no, it's not right. I say, okay, you're right. You're correct. I say, I'll fix it. I say, I need an hour to fix it he says, no, you're not going to get the rebate. So I'm, um, I'm probably 21, two, three or four at the time. This gentleman's a little older. He's talking down to me and being respectful to him. And this was probably the first time I lost it work-wise. So I ended up using some words that weren't kind. He ended up not liking those. He called his, uh, management and they actually told me, they said, Hey, you know, we're not going to put you back in the rebate program. Mm. And I'm thinking, how am I going to sell? This is like, this is like half, of uh, my business Mm -hmm. long story short ended up working out nothing bad happened but it was really really scary because there for a short period of time you know i thought i was going to lose half of my business Mm -hmm. and so you know that that had me thinking okay what am i going to do next what am i going to do different you know this was my sole income i bartended for six months um while i started my business and then once i made my first big sale i quit bartending so Mm -hmm. now you know you're a year in you're you're providing you're, you're hoping for that income, right? You don't know if it's coming because you're just starting. So that was a really scary time. And I would say if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to have times you've gotten kicked in the ass. I know I could ask you three or four stories. You know, the recruit that went wrong, the uh, deal that went bad, the money that didn't get paid, mm-hmm. the person that told you not to go into business. Mm-hmm. Uh, I told my mom and my dad when I was starting my company, both of them sounded confused. <laughs> you went to school. You're not going to get a good job at Dell. Yep. You have a college degree. You're not going to pursue what you're doing now. And, you know, for me, it's. I still remember the phone mm-hmm. call with both my mom and my dad. I still remember telling them, you know, and they just weren't uppity uppity. Mm-hmm. And so, long story short, I'm sure you've got one yeah, you can share. Yeah, so, man, you shared a story that, uh, that truthfully,
0: I think I would completely forgotten about very intentionally, but... Very similar experience. I was farther along in our in our entrepreneurial lifespan, um, but uh, this happened about two or three years ago. Um, I was on a, a job order intake call with HR generalist, who is typically our point of contact, and then a hiring manager that was working for one of their divisions in like Boulder, Colorado. And I don't know what stick was up this guy's ass that day, but he was just talking down to me constantly. Mm-hmm and you know we're talking about engineering principles and and very sophisticated technologies and maybe he didn't know that it was the founder on the other end of the of the phone myself right and he thought i was some pimple-faced no. 22-year-old recruiter straight out of Which college you probably were at the time. Yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> uh, but uh, but man he was digging into me and and now i know what mansplaining feels like mm. being on the other end of that and And then he said something and I said, yeah, I know what the, you know, that is, right? I'm a mathematician, you know, and, uh, and, you know, (laughs) it was down the drain. The deal went down the drain, dude. And, and, you know, the guy completely blew up at me. Ended the phone call. I'm sitting there, left with the HR generalist. She apologizes to me because she could see this the the ball rolling and me getting ready to erupt. What's up?
1: Good, keep going. I, yeah. gotta, I got got a story. I got to share.
0: And uh, and then afterwards, I called her back and and I say, Rebecca, this is what's going on in my personal life. Golly, it had to have been five years ago because you know I I just gotten served papers from my oh, ex wife for divorce. For and, you know, he was in a mood. I was in a mood. And, uh, and two days later, I get a phone call saying, hey, we're terminating your contract. This is a million-dollar-a-year account for us. And we're a service business, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all gross margin. So a million dollars a year in gross margin completely evaporates out of thin air because I lost my cool. And so I could have just, you know, crawled up into my shell, um, cried about it. But I said, golly, if if only the people at corporate knew what what events had culminated in order to lead into me losing my cool. And so I uh, actually went to our IT director. We were able to pull the call recording. I was able to get that. I, was, I sent it to the HR generalist. I said, hey, I know you don't owe me anything, but we've done about 100 deals together before this happened. And so you know our credibility, my work ethic, our technical smart, competency. Smart for saving right? the sale.
1: You can never blow a sale.
0: And so you're absolutely right. And so I gave her the call recording and said, would you mind graduating this to executive leadership? So two days after that, I get a call from the senior VP of talent acquisition. She apologizes to me for the client's behavior, says that she'll have a discussion with them, and then they reinstated us as a preferred vendor. So I lost that million dollar account for about five days, bro. <laughs> hey, yeah.
1: it gives you a firm kick in the ass to remind you what not to do again. Oh my God. Two big things from your story. One, you can never blow a sale. That's something that most people don't know. They always think the sale is lost. When I'm talking to somebody and they say, oh, the deal's done, we, are, we already, you know, deal's done. I'm like, did you cut the check yet? <laughs> no, 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 but we're going to. If the competitor hasn't been paid, I don't care if you sign paperwork, I'll go and I will still meet with the client to tell them why they should do business with me over somebody else the second thing is if people ever talk down to you or they're rude to you they're always doing that because of something in their personal mm-hmm. life <clears throat> so that's something you got to remember you know we do cold calls in the office we have our guys and they're like oh man you know that was a terrible phone call he was so mean he, you know they hung up on me or they cursed me out or You know, we go on the street Mm -hmm. and we walk into warehouses and we go introduce ourselves Mm -hmm. and we've been chased out of them. I'm going to call the cops. He parked in the wrong parking spot. Who are you? Why are you here? The people that are rude to you have something bad going on. Number one, make friends with them. See how you can help them. Number two, the people that are good to you, they've got good things going on Mm. in their life. Be friends with them.
0: Absolutely. Both, both great shares. So we've talked about big failures now I want to hear a story about maybe one of your greatest accomplishments in your career.
1: Yeah. So I gotta tell I gotta tell my full circle life story. So I started out Louisville, Kentucky, moved to Houston, got into the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship. I'm in the Wolf Center for Entrepreneurship and guest speakers coming. Champ Warren shows up in his flashy suit, black Ferrari, and everybody's just in awe. And this man gives the best. 30-minute guest lecture I've ever heard in my life to this day. So he leaves, and everybody sits there, and they're like, I'm going to go intern with him. I'm going to work with him. I'm going to call on him. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going to get a job with him. Mm -hmm. So fast forward a month later, I called on him. I'd wrote him a letter. I'd interviewed with him, and I was the only person to write a thank you card. Mm. I was also the only person to show up with a book bag and show them research I had done on um, the ultra high net worth private banking division mm-hmm. of Merrill Lynch, Champ was running $4 billion. And so I ended up beating out a Harvard uh, a Harvard student and a Rice student. And all of these people that we're interviewing, they were very mathematically inclined. They were very, very smart. I'm not a smart cookie, Jeremy. <laughs> I'm just good at sales, you know? I, and I try really hard. Yeah. So I end up getting the internship. Champ comes up to me the last day and he goes, "Hey." You're not an analyst, this role is not for you. He said, you need to go out, you need to find a good sales role, you're a good salesman, salesmen make a lot of money. So I go, I drop off uh, my business plan that I had in college to a guy named Al Ross, he owned National Signs at the time. Mm -hmm. Al uh, didn't call me so I called him. He didn't call me so I called him back, left him a voicemail. So I had his cell phone number and I'm chasing this guy Al down, this is a good story for anybody that's in sales to hear or that's interviewing. So after about 15 phone calls, 15 voicemails, stopping in three times, uh, I'm on vacation. And I get a phone call in it's Tal Ross. And he goes, hey, what the fuck? Why'd you stop calling? And I go, excuse me? He goes, yeah. He goes, you were interviewing for me. You just didn't know it. He goes, I already talked to Champ. I know who you are. He goes, I want to hire you. But he goes, I was seeing how many times you would call me because we were looking at hiring you for sales and good salesmen don't stop until they get a firm no. He goes, and even sometimes a firm no isn't really a no. So long story short, I worked for Al Ross uh, for a year and a half. I sell the biggest deal in the 25-year history, and then um, I put in my two weeks. I start bartending, and while I'm bartending, I started my company, National LED. You know, it's it's funny, man. That's such an inspiring story,
0: and I've got uh, some similar uh, stories kind of very early on in, in my career as well. But one thing stood out to me and I didn't even make the connection until just now. So Champ Warren, you said he had about four billion AUM at the time. I think it's probably closer to nine billion now. Uh, we own or I own a, a, an executive search firm and, and wealth advisors is the biggest vertical that we mm-hmm. participate in. So he's on our radar. Mm-hmm. We're we are trying to woo him every single day. Uh, so you, you Warren Wealth Management. Doesn't that have a good ring to it? Yeah. You're, you're <laughs> you mentioned
1: my name and you'll get directly in. Yeah. I've, I've connected my brother with him. Yeah. Um, there, was a, there was a picture of myself and Warren Buffett on yeah. the wall in Merrill Lynch's office uh, for about a year and a half. And the person who took it down was my buddy who I got a job there. Because he said he was tired of seeing my face all ah, every day next to his desk. So he took it down. That's but. hilarious. So, so funny story. So you hosted a
0: business boot camp last summer, I think it was. And very gratefully, thank you. You invited me to be one of the speakers for that. And there was a young man that was in the audience that day.
1: And if memory serves, it was Champ's little, little or his son. Super brilliant What's guy. What's his name? I cannot wait to see how successful he becomes. Yeah. I can't think of his name yeah. off the top of my so, head.
0: So I'll tell you. So he walks up to me and he says, Mr. Jensen, Mr. Jensen, I know you. And I have no <laughs> idea who this kid is. He's probably 19 years yeah. old at the time sitting there. And he tells me there <laughs> So one time I was driving to Katie to go see my kids. They
1: probably raced you down the highway. No,
0: <laughs> and so I'm stopped at the stoplight on the feeder road at Fry Road to turn left. He chased me down. He gets out. I'm in my Audi R8 at the time, and he says, hey, I, I want to let you know I take photographs of exotic cars, and I would really love to photograph your car. Here's my card, uh-huh, right? follow me on Instagram and I'll follow you back. So I said, holy shit, man, this kid is a hustler. So I followed him on Instagram, he followed me back, and then he had been following me for like two years on Insta. So when he saw me in this business boot camp, right, he was like, hey, dude, I know all about Jeremy Jensen. Uh, and so it was just awesome. I mean, at the time he was probably
1: 16, he's, 17 He's going to be old. the next big thing. Yeah. I, just from his demeanor and, you know, his dad coaches him and his dad's a really, really smart person. Very, very business minded, but it's going to be interesting to see where he ends up because I think he's you know 18 now. Give him until he's 28. Yeah, at 38, you know, he'll be on to really big things. Well,
0: I mean, you've got a dad. I don't, I don't want to make assumptions, but let's say dad makes 10, 15, 20 million dollars a year, mm-hmm. whose enterprise value of his business is upwards of 50, 60 million bucks. The natural progression of of a young hustler's career is to maybe take over dad's practice. is that sometimes, uh, not a great strategy? Let's talk about that. How do you feel about that?
1: You know, I, um, you know, I've got family in real estate. I wanted to go into real estate and my family actually pushed me out of it a little bit because Mm -hmm. they said, Hey, we want you to go out there. We want you to find your own way. And I think, you know, there would be ways to get back in that today if I wanted to, but you know, I was kind of pushed away from the family business to go and get my own feet under me. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, um, you know, if my family had a fifty million dollar be- a year reoccurring, <laughs> you know, revenue business, I yeah. would one hundred percent want to jump in that. Uh-huh. But you know, my uh, my dad bet the the house on the farm several times, mm-hmm. or is it the farm on the house? Yeah, yeah. He I mean, he did that several times, and uh, you know, he mentions you know there was a lot of stress and you know signing your name on that paper mm-hmm. when you when you've got a big development and you need some mm-hmm. some back cash. So you know, I have nothing against people who, who are in the family business. You know, I hope that what I have becomes a family business. I'm, I'm looking for a wife, <laughs> uh, you know, I want Hey, to- we're in the same, uh, we're in
0: competition of the same pool. So <laughs> right, watch right. out, uh, cut that out, Gabe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, ma- matter of fact, I, yeah. uh, you know, saw you were at a good pool party yesterday. Yeah. I was thinking, damn, now I know why you didn't invite me. <laughs> so anyways, um, uh, you know, I'm distracted now. I kind of
0: got no, lost on No, worries. story. So you want to create generational wealth. And hopefully you have an asset one day that your children want to work in and are proud mm-hmm. to work in. Right. Um, but it sounds like you're doing it. In a very cool way, because you've got your businesses that do service and installation, right? Sales service, sales service and installation, those are are high margin, high return kind of cash flow businesses. And then you've got very asset intensive real estate portfolio assets, where you're signing your your name mm-hmm. on the house, right, and, and leveraging your own personal assets for that yeah. debt, right? Um, but that's what I've seen. Uh, can conti- con- contribute to creating generational wealth is how can I buy an asset today that's maybe worth three, 4 million bucks, take 70% leverage. And then over the course of 15, 20 years, now it triples or quadruples in value. That's how you really move the needle from a wealth building standpoint. So you shared a story earlier about how okay. Champ's personal branding, right? The black Ferrari, the shiny suit, the 30 minute presentation, how his personal branding led to a a massive bench of people that wanted to go work for him and make him money in order to launch their career. Uh, My question for you is, is as I've seen you really invest more time and attention into your social media strategy over the last year, how does personal
1: branding play a role in your entrepreneurial success? Yeah. So, you know, one person who's mastered the game of, uh, social media success is Grant Cardone. Mm -hmm. You think about it, this guy's like 65 years old, Mm -hmm. he's got millions of followers, and he's probably raised more money off of social media than any other individual in the world. And you know, his advice, uh, I've gone to his business boot camp. they are excellent. They're very business focused. You know, they're not just all real estate. They really tell you how to run a company, how to run a sales team. But the biggest thing there is, Those who don't know you can't flow you. Mm. And so if you're not marketing your company and you're not marketing your name, then you can't get deals. You you have to go out, either do cold calls or wait for warm leads to come in. One way to expedite that and to exponentially grow is every time you do a job, you should be telling 1,000 people about that job. Mm. Well, how do you tell them? You take a picture or you take a video and you post it. And so what's easier for me to call 1,000 people and explain to them what I did or for me to make one post and for everybody to be able to see it. And so it's, you know, I hid our business for about 10 years. I really stayed quiet because we were doing so much in revenue. I didn't want everybody to see us. I didn't want people to come after me. I didn't want people to get the idea to sue me. I didn't want people to get the idea to compete with me. And I didn't want people to know we were successful. But your branding is your biggest asset right now. Mm. Because if you lose your website and you lose your current customers, you know, the people that know you can still call you. And so we've been in this meeting for, you know, not even an hour. And I've got, uh, you know, 10, 12 missed phone calls and text messages. And that's probably either, you know, new business that I'm trying to drum up or, or people that are, have found me online or people that are getting referrals from me. Mm-hmm. And so it's just good to have that out there. Man, now
0: I'm embarrassed because I've only gotten uh, eight Instagram notifications (laughs) and no phone calls. Well, that's because you sent out so many DMs. Oh, get out of here. No way. Uh, (laughs) So, you know, I know I had some of the same, you know, hurdles. You know, I hid my business from social media probably for about six years, you know, Mm -hmm. because... Um, you know, I own a recruiting company, a lot of talent are on there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that was the first medium that I utilized in order to, to create brand recognition and credibility. Um, but I'd always really shied away from doing content marketing on, um, Facebook or Instagram, maybe because I didn't like the way that my skin looked in a video, right? Or I didn't like my weight. So it's so like, I got feeling uh, I'm scared. I'm scared, you know, and, and, you know, really it was, You know, posting that first video and getting those words of affirmation from people that really wanted to uh, follow the brand and be loyal as a consumer, right? That Mm -hmm. actually was interested in what I had to say, that gave me the confidence to keep posting. Now, granted, you know, every single post, I'd probably lose 5 7% of the people that followed because they wanted to self-select out. But then the trust, bond, rapport, and credibility that was established with the other 93% that stayed, that's what helped us snowball, right, into a brand that people wanted to come work for, right? No. And so, you know, that was really my social strategy was, you know, I don't need to talk about why we're a great recru- recruiting firm and why you should hire us to find good people. I wanted to show why we were a great employer, right? Because if I could have access to great people to come make me money, then all of the other, you know, challenges would essentially solve themselves, right? But I was, I was scared of that criticism. I was scared of that feedback. Give me a story about how maybe you were met with criticism or negative feedback and how you were able to uh, overcome that got a big ego, so that's a hard, <laughs> that's a hard
1: question to answer. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that... You know, I don't think that I was ever met with criticism where, you know... You I just would, blocked
0: them first so yeah, they didn't get a chance to talk more shit. I yeah. I mean,
1: you know, the only thing... I'll tell you this. When I first started, our company name was LED Lighting of Houston. And I had so much fear in changing it to National LED. And we were already doing deals outside of Houston, outside mm-hmm. of Texas. Um, but my you know, my mentor, his company's USLED. And I didn't want the same name as him because I was kind of scared because they're similar. But, you know, when you look at it, we're in a multi-billion dollar industry. We both have tiny, tiny fractions of the business, but I wanted to change my name for so long. And the fear of being criticized for being too closely related to one of our partners scared me. We ended up doing it and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, We had to completely, you know, we didn't even rebrand. We just made a whole nother website, left the existing website, um, and it really worked out. I'm telling you, anytime you got that pit in your stomach that tells you you've got some fear, that's when you've got to move forward. Awesome, man. Thank you for sharing. So
0: I know you well, so I know that you have a lot of fun, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then you're back <laughs> to the grind uh, during the week. So, how do you maintain strong work ethic? While still having a
1: fun and social lifestyle. So I'm I'm really driven right now because uh, I've got big expenses. So I've, you know, <laughs> I've never I, in the, you know I I may spend a lot on like dinners and you know going out and you know, OpEx. This, but I never buy expensive. Uh, we'll call it liabilities. Yeah. Expensive things that don't return some type of uh, revenue to me. So right now. Uh, You know, I had a boat a couple years ago. I split it with somebody, which was the first smart thing I did. I sold it for more than what I bought it for, which was the undeniably (laughs) second smart thing I did. But, you know, now I've got a boat and a lake house that I'm looking at. And, you know, these things I want and I can afford them, no problem. But, you know, they drive me to think, okay, I'm going to buy that what if what if i find a new client today Mm -hmm. and what if i get a new client that gives us the money and so then it's like i'm not even spending any of my money in my bank account but this new deal is going to pay for it and so i'm always looking for that goal right like something that i'm reaching for Mm -hmm. and that's just the way i put my mind to it like what can i work towards Mm -hmm. um you know i've got my i've got my mom taken care of i've got my family if they ever need anything they can always call i've got you know a house that's paid off vehicle that's paid cash so I don't ever, I don't have a lot of liabilities, Mm -hmm. but I'm always looking for like, Hey, what's a way I can challenge myself to make a few more dollars. And so right now, just since you asked, you know, it's the lake house and the boat. And so I'm thinking, okay, what new clients am I going to get to help pay for that?
0: Yeah. You know, it's funny because you and I are similar in the sense that You know, I don't think that we do it for the money. We do it for the thrill of the chase and the thrill of the win, right? I'm a very competitive individual, and, you know, I want to constantly outdo myself. You know, do I look at the competition? Of course. I like to see what they're doing, what verticals they're doing it in, how they're doing it. Um, But at the end of the day, if I could just get, you know, 1% better every day, 10% better year over year, whether it become personal and professional development, you know, uh, wealth building, et cetera, I know that
1: I'm achieving my goals. I don't mind winning. I hate losing. <laughs> that's, that's my big thing. I love doing deals with yeah. people. I love doing deals. I like to do deals because I like people. Yep. And then I like a challenge. You know, everything we do, um, every, every deal that I close, I try and always close a bigger and a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. So if I close a one million, I try and go for a one point five. Close a one point five, try and go for you know two. And so every deal I'm doing, I'm always working on something bigger yep. because I like the challenge and I like to I like to network with really smart people. You yep. know, the higher these deals go, the more intelligent people you mm-hmm. get with. And I just like people and I like to do fun things.
0: Absolutely. So you've had a lot of W's in your career. You know, you've bought the the fancy cars, the fancy vacations, the, the extravagant dinners. How do you continue to outdo yourself with re- with regards to celebrating big milestones? So
1: funny story, bought the fancy cars. So I bought a Tesla in 2017. I still haven't got. Yeah. So they came out with the Roadster. Okay. You could put uh, $50,000 down. Sure. And they would deliver your car when they came out with it. They just built the Austin factory, which is where they said they're gonna build them, and mm. now they announced they're gonna do the Cybertruck first. Oh. So I have a receipt in my email for $50,000 for a quarter of a million dollar car yeah. that I paid for five years ago. If I put that $50,000 in Tesla, do you know what I would be worth right now? <laughs> like $38 million. <laughs> who's smarter, me or Elon? Oh,
0: man. (laughs) Fucker got me. (laughs) Yeah. He got you and a lot of people. That's for sure, man.
1: So that, that bridges a question. Is (laughs) Tesla just the world's largest Ponzi scheme? No, dude. I I love Elon, man. I could never say anything negative about him.
0: Well, good. So what's one valuable piece of advice that you would give
1: to young entrepreneur that might be facing adversity right now? So you're your biggest goal is to find a good mentor. Mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how many mentors I went through. And um, you, wanna, you wanna be a little bit of a pest, right? Like you, when you're young, adults forgive you for, for being a pest, but they, adults also like to talk about themselves. They like to tell you how smart they are. And so if I was gonna give any advice, I think that was the question as I ran yeah. on. Okay, if I was gonna give any advice to somebody, it would say, t- it would be to find a mentor. Let's say you're you're 18 and you're watching this, you know I'll I'll go ahead and admit there's two people in the room, uh, one's wealthier than the other. So
0: I'm just five years so, older than you. <laughs> so, uh,
1: DM Jeremy, and if he doesn't answer your DMs, call his office. If he doesn't uh, return your voicemail, write him a letter. You know that's the problem with the generation right now is they're so soft, and you've got to understand that if you want something, you stop at try number one, two, or three. You don't deserve it. And so that's why, that's why I like sales because I like to work for the sales that I have. The biggest account that I have right now probably be somewhere between six to $10 million uh, over the next 12 months, one client. <laughs> and I worked really hard for that client. By the way, I got told no. I got told go away. I got told it's not happening. We've already got somebody. But number five was a little different. Number five was, well, I need this. Do you have this? Can you help me? You know, I just right place at the right time. And the more you follow up, you know, That'll happen, right place at the right time will happen if you constantly follow up. So whether it's a job, advice, um, a sale you're trying to make, or a girl you're trying to get, don't stop at try number one. Mm.
0: Man, thank you for sharing that. And I think that that big $10 million client might own my building. They they do.
1: <laughs> the, big, the, big man, the big man is upstairs, I've been in his office, super nice guy, I won't mention him all, yeah. uh, publicly. Um, you know, as entrepreneurial as it gets, um, and that's just where I'll leave that at. But you know, it's good for me because now I got a ten million dollar client. Yeah. So what's next? Twenty million dollar client. Absolutely. You know, and those are those are the deals that I'm always looking for. That's why, you know, I always carry a nice pen. I always carry a moleskin, um, and I'm always ready to do a deal.
0: Awesome, man. Well, I know I'm going to do two things after this podcast. I'm going to buy a nice <laughs> pen uh, because I got my little uh, G two right. <laughs> Uh, And then I'm going to buy a moleskin because you've been very, very informative and inspirational, man. It's been awesome to see your growth over the last two years. And coupled with the business growth, I've seen a tremendous amount of growth personally in your humility, your gratitude and who you spend your time with. So awesome, man.
1: Appreciate that. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.